Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm Byron. Byron, what are you? Are you the co-host? Oh, I forgot, because the hashtag blessed, we do it so differently. I'm the talent slash co-host, Byron. Wow, I screwed up. It's been so long since we've done this. Well, with Very talented. I did the last one myself, but for Jason, well, it's Jason and Ryan were with me, but you weren't, so that's weird. This feels weird, Josiah. It's been too long. It's been too long, Byron. And we, we need to apologize, I guess, for that, because we have a long-running thing from season one that we're, we're really being bad about, things that we need to apologize for in the last episode. <laughs> so I actually have one, but uh, I was going to offer the floor to you. I'll share first, and if there's anything else we need to apologize, Byron, that you can think of, feel free to share. Um, on our short form show, if you haven't listened, our hashtag blessed series, I said something disparaging about churches that don't teach Advent right and how they're broken and messed up or whatever I said, so... I'm sorry. I, I'm pretty pretty blunt about stuff, so I, I'm sorry for that. I, I very I try to very clearly say the most immature version of Josiah would say, "Well, if you went to a church and you never heard the word Advent, they did something wrong." That was me trying to say that's my very carnal nature coming out. So I apologize for that, Byron. Anything you want to apologize for? Can I double down on what you said before because I agree with it? Or is that bad? No, you're going to have to apologize for Fine. agreeing with I my... apologize for agreeing with your style. I'll never do it again. It's not that oh hard. He has gosh. terrible ideas anyway. Such um, a glorious start to no, this episode. What I would say I, we need to apologize for is partially, it's not really our fault necessarily either, but we, we decided we were going to change the format for this season for the long form stuff. And then we kind of fell off the map after the first rotation. Um, part of that was because of not being able to find a none and done because people bailed on us for a lot of different reasons. Um, the other thing is, like, beyond that, though, recording has been difficult with uh, timing and people we want to get on the, on the show. They, they're busy because they have lives and jobs and families, you know, and holidays stuff. Um, and then we also have those things. So it's been difficult to kind of be on tra- task. Which, so we, we're doing the hashtag blessed almost every week, but the long form has been kind of suffering. And so. We're going to try to do better, but we really are, you know, it's December now, so we still have Christmas, obviously, and so we'll see how we it might goes. Ra- we'll do we might best. round out the second cycle of three before Christmas. We're going to do our best. So with that being said, we're going to jump right in. Here's a sponsor. Let's get at it. It, it. To some of our more keen listeners, you may have heard someone giggling a little bit at the beginning <laughs> of the episode. Uh, I'd like to introduce our guest today, Dr. Professor of History and Hebrews, Old uh, Brad Kelly. Old, sorry. Old yeah, Testament that was, I already messed you're it gonna, up. You'll want to apologize for that on your next episode. On the next. You know, I'm glad <laughs> I have material. Totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I have material. Dr. Think- Dr. Kelly, Brad Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks. Awesome to be here. And I just want to say listening to that opening interchange between two of you was like, a, a clear reminder of what I heard for four years when we were both in class <laughs> together. Uh, it's like, now, your audience, I think, is too young to remember this, but it sounds like the two old guys from The Muppet Show that used to sit up Oh, that's like the greatest compliment I've ever gotten. They were great, I love they? that. I mean, They're it, the best. Yeah, they, oh, you know, it was, it's just <laughs> awesome. I'll be honest. Since you were one of our professors, I'm torn between calling you Brad or calling you professor or doctor or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Jedi and, and, Knight is okay, if you want. Jedi I like Jedi Knight. Not a master, um, though? Mandalorian is, is oh also God. good, <laughs> um, but uh, so, Brad is fine, uh, and 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 
to clarify the title that you uh, remarkably botched at the beginning, <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about history, uh, but uh, I do uh, think it goes under the title of Old Testament and Hebrew. That's, uh, that's what I get to teach at, uh, at Point Loma and uh, how I have such fond memories of the two of you. So, so before we get yeah. to those fond memories, I want to I wanna point out the fact that you might not fit the bill of an actual mm. seasoned saint. So mm. when me and Byron came true. up with this label stereotype, we were trying to go with nuns and duns. Then we wanted to talk to seasoned saints. In our minds, that was boomer or older. You're not yeah. boomer aged, right? No, I'm 46. So I guess I'm gloriously middle aged. Is that is that what we gloriously middle aged? We can call you the, <laughs> yeah. the middle master, middle aged master, Ooh, or, or middle aged master. You be. I like that. Middle aged mediocrity is probably where middle- I'm <laughs> most at home. Uh, but uh, but, but that puts whatever. you uh, that puts you firmly in Gen Gen X, right? Generation X, that's right. I once pub my very first academic publication of any kind was in a book edited by Tom Ord, who I think you both know, uh, and uh, the book was entitled "Generation Xers Talk About the Church of the Nazarene." You want to believe that? And, wow. uh, or as we wanted to call it, burn, baby, burn. But we didn't, we didn't call it. <laughs> uh, but, but that was it. And I really don't know why Tom was editing it. I mean, you know, I'm not confident he's in that category, but whatever. Uh, so, yeah, Generation X, whatever that means, uh, I think I'm, uh, I'm, I'm one of them. Or D-Generation X for your WWE crowd. That's so I there. will say I had a roommate when I lived in Kansas City who loved WWE, and we watched Dude. a lot together. And every time, time I watched it, I thought about you, and I was like, "Man, yeah." Can I, I just say this morning you... before before we before we got on this podcast, I watched three hours of WWE programming. <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. So because you know we, it's what I do. Not only do we not probably bring up WWE much, <laughs> we also almost never bring up Gen X. Do you feel like your generation is the lost and forgotten generation? In the midst of all of this infighting uh, between boomers and millennials, I feel like we don't care. Uh, I mean, uh, to be honest, the the best joke I heard about Generation X was, you know, if you're a boomer and you're mad at millennials, or if you're a millennial and you're disillusioned with the boomers, just remember there's a generation in between that hates both of you, and, uh, and that's that's us. I mean, we're we're like, uh, you know, we don't really care what you do, or you know, we'll just kick back and and watch it go down. So I, I don't know where that comes from, really, honestly. But, uh, yeah, so there it is. That tends to be the thing. I don't that, know if I embody that. but That's you know. glory. Well, in, in, you're a professor of Old Testament and Hebrews, and you're at Point Loma Nazarene <laughs> University in San Diego. <laughs> Did I mess it up again? We're gonna, <laughs> yeah, Hebrews. this is... I remember oh, like, how many papers have I graded? I was like, yep, he did it again right there. It was, it <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, do you have any fond memories of, of me and Byron that stand out to you? Because I know it's kind of a, a big ass yeah. to ask a professor. How many students have you taught at, to this point? And so this to recall. is my, uh, yeah, this is my 15th year at Point Loma, which puts us there very close to the same time. Like I got there in the fall of 2004 and you guys would have been uh, first year students shortly after that right 2005, 2005. Yep. so yep. a year after yeah. you got there we showed up lucky you yeah so we were figuring uh figuring out things together i think but yeah no i have my 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 i've told you all this before my my best memory probably the only and clearest memory i have of the two of you together in class 
was for whatever, I don't know what compelled you, <laughs> but one of you felt necessary to share with me uh, the incident of uh, when you all first met at some church youth group or something. And, uh, and Byron, you know, sort of ended up like pushing you, Josiah, into the wall. And then to get out of that, Josiah knees you in the junk and, and gets out of it. And that was the story that you told me, like uh, to introduce yourselves to me as a new student. So <laughs> I've, never, I've never forgotten that. Uh, I've that also sounds always very been, unlike us. Well, I've always been careful around uh, Josiah ever since then. <laughs> Good call. As, as because when be they go high, up. he goes low. Once again, in my defense, for those of you that haven't listened to our first episode of this podcast, I was half the size of Byron, and At I was least. in fear of my life. He was he was a very small <laughs> child. He grew up finally in high school. He got bigger in high school, but he was very well, tiny. So it, there I has been. That was, that was I mean, I want you to know. I want you and your listeners to know that in the world of Old Testament scholarship, there has been some consideration given <laughs> to whether or not the story of David and Goliath has been redacted, and that in fact, what David did was uh, slung the stone right into his junk, and the, and oh, the scribes, <laughs> the scribes were just like, "Don't worry, we'll say you got him right between the eyes," and then that's what showed up. So there has been some conversation. <laughs> I, I don't. I wouldn't say it's a compelling argument, but but there has been some conversation. <laughs> so Josiah, you might be, you know, in the line of the the great deliverers of of biblical uh, narrative. Oh my Lanta, that's great to know. See, you, you continue to teach us. <laughs> you continue to teach us, us. <laughs> and yet you are yet to start learning. So I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> which, uh... Like I said before, we started recording. <laughs> never once. As one of my churches asked me my GPA from school, so well, otherwise, would you have a job? I, I mean, that was that's criteria? that's definitely up for debate. So okay, fair. My <laughs> wife, my wife, and her grades being a nurse. Oh man, that seems yeah. to matter quite a Pretty bit. Pretty good, so. huh? Yeah, that's yeah. great. But it's it's ironic because the whole the whole premise for this podcast and the book it is named after is the fact that I did not feel like I knew what I was getting myself into, and I didn't know what I didn't know. So. The irony mm -hmm. is palpable with this discussion. Yeah. Talking to a former Hear professor. That. Hey, I do Hear have that. something I do want to tell you, Dr. Kelly. I'll, I'll refer right. you to that for this situation. Okay. Um, so <laughs> when I really got my act together and sort of became a really good student, like in my upper division theology classes and everything, I took a class, Josiah was there as well, um, History of the Old Testament. And we read this ridiculous book by Walter Brueggemann. That was like very big. I book. still have it. It's a great book. I Me still, too. I still theology read of, of the Old Testament. It's such a good book. But testimony, um, we also had... advocacy, and dispute. If you're going to quote it, quote the whole title. With the well, subtitle. I mean, come like, on, you're the one who teaches it, by... not me. I just okay. read it and tore it up. That's fair. Like it, it's. Fair. I, I mean, I broke the binding in that book because I read it like when I was reading it. Like I, I love that book, but it's it was huge. Book. And then we had at least one other text we had to read. So there's tons of reading in this class. Mm -hmm. And I did really good in your class. And we get to the final mm -hmm. and you gave us, um, like, you told us the questions ahead of time. Yeah. We had to handwrite, I think it was three different essays or something mm -hmm. along those lines for our final. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so you could prepare ahead of time. You said, you know, we could even bring it in mm -hmm. and just copy it or whatever. I took a long mm -hmm. time preparing for this. Mm. And I, I aced this final. Um, but you had one question on there. And it's the only two points I missed in the entire thing. And wow. you said... Tell me honestly how much of the reading material you read. <laughs> and here's the thing. No other class have I read so much. Like, I, I tried to read everything for your class. And I put, and I, I felt it was honest. I, I put that I read 98% of, mm -hmm. of the material. And I, I believe that was true. I mm -hmm. almost read everything. 
And so the only two points I missed in that final is because I was honest with you. And it made me no, think no, maybe I... no. I'm sorry. The only two points you missed on the final were because you didn't do 100% of the Okay, readings. I know that. I get that. It was, it was my fault. But my point is, <laughs> I could have lied and gotten uh-huh. 100% on the final, and I didn't, and I'm glad I didn't, but I was so close to acing a final, like getting 100% on a final, and I was uh-huh. like, oh, man, I read so much. Unprecedented. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so let me get this straight. You You want special credit because you did what you were supposed to do in the class. No, I want social credit because I did almost everything I was supposed to do in the class. I just didn't do all of it. How, how millennial of you, Byron? How very millennial no, of uh, you. My, my wife, who did not go to Point Loma and has never met you, um, uh-huh. asked me about who we were recording with, and that's the story mm. I told her. I was like, okay, I did the best I've ever fair. done on a final, but I missed yeah. two points because I was honest. So that class was actually uh, a, a biblical theology. And, that's right. uh and weren't we in like a science classroom yeah. or something? Yeah, we were in the science roar. Yeah, they stuck us into some lab or something where it's like uh, cadavers and like yep. formaldehyde and then Brueggemann, which was yep. weird. I mean, it was sort of a weird, yeah. But that, yeah, that book is is still great. I still use it actually. It's that it's that compelling. And uh, well, I will say that and, was actually one of my favorite big. classes. So oh, I good. really did appreciate it. It was a great class, and we yeah, had fun. That's we great. had. It was you know, Josiah fun. was there. Alan Hickman was in yeah. that class. A bunch of knuckleheads oh my and you yeah. trying to teach us. And oh I'm sorry gosh. for that, but it went okay. Yeah. I think. We had you know, it did go okay. I, Hickman, <laughs> Hickman is that he was an interesting dude. You're right. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't. I had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fun. Some <laughs> of my one of my fondest memories I want to share before we transition to uh, playing playing with some stereotypes uh, for right. your benefit, uh, oh, Professor good. Kelly. Um, one of, one of my favorite memories, I think it was in that very class, was you would tell me or Byron, but mo- more often Byron, it seems like. Byron, you're not allowed to talk anymore for the yeah. rest of the class. Yeah. That was some of, some of my favorite memories. Yeah. But the, the one that's more applicable <laughs> to me that I remember is that I, I can't remember if it was a sort of me and Byron were messing around and you didn't think we were paying attention. You asked a question. Mm. And it, whether it was me, I think it was me because it seems to be why it shocked you more. Um, I answered the question and mm. it was correct. And you're like, oh, mm. you, you actually did read. I oh, remember actually that, did. actually. You did pay attention. I do remember that. So, like, he was shocked my... that you got something right. That's true. It was uh, So it was basically an homage to you didn't think I was actually doing the homework or paying attention or something because I may or may not have had a tendency to only be halfway present in classes time when I was there, physically there. I wasn't always mentally there, so... <laughs> Yeah, are you are you asking for a comment on that, or are you? Just no, it's just some, yeah, I just want I just right. wanted to I just wanted to point out that uh, yeah. instead of Byron's, I I demand to have a hundred percent. I was just like, hey, I was yeah. actually doing what I was supposed to do, and that it surprised good. you. So it hey, I, I'm I'm good with that. I'm you know, to... you wanna, as you all know, when you're uh, you know in ministry or in any kind of cert, you know teaching, sometimes what you really think slips out before you can get it back, uh, and, and that's probably one of those moments. Where it was like, dang, <laughs> yeah, who knew? Yeah, who knew? Yeah, but now look how it worked out. I mean, you got a book and everything. So I, I mean, mean, it needed a lot of editing, but yes, I do have a book. <laughs> Do you want to um, plug our plug your own book and sponsor our podcast while you're on? Uh, it depends. <laughs> what do I have to pay for that? Because uh, the answer is no if I have to pay. Uh, that yeah. being said, I actually so, am really interested in your new book. It does sound very oh, interesting thanks. to me. 
Um, yeah, thanks. You can uh, actually yeah. plug it if you want. I was kidding. You can. Well, yeah, I'm yeah, sure you worked I mean, hard I, on it. I don't. I don't know if it's a plug, but it's. Uh, I've got a book about to come out with uh, Abingdon Press. Uh, it could be out any minute now. I mean, my work's done. I'm just waiting on them to finish production. But uh, the Bible. Uh, it's actually called the Bible and Moral Injury. Uh, the subtitles reading scripture alongside wars, unseen wounds. And uh, it's a, it's a bit different uh, kind of a book uh, in that it's kind of a cross disciplinary kind of deal. Uh, I, and if your listeners aren't super familiar with moral injury, that's totally understandable. It's a fairly new thing that emerged mostly out of veterans uh, administration, psychologists uh, that kind of was born out of uh, a background of trauma and PTSD, but Essentially, uh, psychologists began, you know, as they worked with veterans and active duty folks, uh, they began to realize that there was uh, there were other struggles going on that weren't just kind of trauma related or fear based trauma or PTSD, but seemed to be around moral and ethical struggles that are the result of participating in or experiencing uh, or being in environments of uh, violence, war. Etc. Especially being asked to uh, to do things uh, that that are that are troubling to one's kind of moral understanding of both uh, oneself and the world and God. And so, what grew out of this over the span of about the last ten years is a robust amount of research and writing on this idea of moral injury or kind of the moral injuriousness of war and violence and participation in war and all that, uh, that now is there's all kinds of stuff, of course, in psychology and clinical psychology. But now it's uh, beginning to be uh, addressed from a lot of different disciplines like uh, philosophy, and literature. And so uh, obviously pastoral care, counseling, Christian theology has been in there. Uh, but only really recently has uh, has kind of biblical studies per se tried to jump into it. So uh, my book will actually be the first uh, the first book of its kind where it's sort of biblical studies that's trying to kind of say what's the inner interface between the Bible and this kind of stuff look like. So just one as a quick example, I've got a chapter in there that rereads the story of King Saul from first uh, Samuel nine to 31. Uh, so Saul, as you may remember, has often been read as sort of a tragic figure or kind of a tragically flawed figure or kind of a psychologically disturbed figure or something. So it kind of rereads the story of King Saul as to say, what if we, what if we read Saul as a, a morally wounded warrior who's kind of uh, wounded by uh, what he experiences in war and from God and uh, elements of betrayal and so on. So does that kind of give a new lens onto this uh, difficult story? So that's one of the chapters in the book alongside stuff like this big chapter on lament and the importance of lament and grief and honesty and kind of the, <laughs> laments, the lament psalms kind of thing. Uh, and then a big chapter on rituals, kind of uh, war-related rituals in the Bible, uh, and what, how do they interface? And then my favorite chapter in the book actually is a, a book called Injured, a uh, chapter called Injured by the Bible, um, which is uh, the subtitle is uh, Do the Biblical Warfare Texts Morally Injure Their Readers? So it's a sort of a look at uh, how uh, you know readers, contemporaries, Christian readers especially, have had. Um, 
uh, kind of perennial difficulty with the biblical texts that talk about war and violence, especially divinely sanctioned or divinely performed war and violence. And um, is this, you know, our readers actually kind of experiencing a moral injury of sorts by having these texts in their Bible and in their scripture? Does that help us kind of understand what's going on there and how to, you know, maybe how to deal with it? So that's probably my favorite chapter in the book, uh, although I don't know if it's particularly good or not i guess we'll find out but uh but yeah so i'm kind of excited about it it's a different sort of book for me um uh, my last book was uh telling the old testament story which was kind of a missional uh overview of the old testament as a whole so uh this is a different deal but one that uh, i've kind of been working on for a while so yeah look forward to seeing people love it or hate it or hopefully it'll be helpful well, here, we'll make you a deal. When it comes All out, right. you, need, you need to right. let us know. Okay. And we will pretend like we're in your class again and force ourselves to read it. Um, but <laughs> at this point, at this point in our lives. No, but, but, but wait, wait, wait. But wait, <laughs> only, oh, let me be clear. Only 98% of it, right? Only because 98%. Well, not hold on, 100%. hold on. That is not nearly as, from the pictures I've seen, it doesn't look nearly as big as that book from Brueggemann. So I think <laughs> I'll get Way, way, way shorter. So but I just want to enough. Yeah. Perhaps, despite our best efforts to uh, to pretend like we are less mature than we were in college, um, we might actually like it at, at like talking about these things and diving into these books and read it for an enjoyment. Um, you can sponsor uh, if you are fine with us giving our unadulterated review of the book. That is the payment. Does that sound good? Deal. Okay. One hundred percent. You go with that, Byron, a millennial view of this book? I'll be honest. I was actually being – I wasn't joking. I am really looking forward to reading it at some point because it does sound really interesting to me. Well, when it comes out, one of our future long-form shows, we'll give a a brief review, and that can be the payment due for the sponsorship. Does that that sound fair? (laughs) That's a deal. You've also worked on the uh, Common English Bible. You were one of the translators, right? Yeah, that's right. I I did the book of Judges in there. Oh, okay. Cool. So I actually – have bought that for youth groups in the past because I liked oh, the cool. way it was translated. And I, yeah. uh, I took a Greek class at the same time when, uh, Dr. Phillips was translating for part of it too. Um, I have any prayer requests on this fine day. Did I do that? Right? <laughs> That's, a pretty, good, I try That's to... pretty great. That's how he started uh, every, yeah. every class. But, uh, so he we is actually, risen. We actually talked about in our class, how he was translating Luke and stuff. It was really interesting, yeah. but it's yeah. one of my favorite translations for teenagers for a lot of reasons. Um, but people think that's kind of interesting, but I, I have found it to be a great translation. I really appreciate all the work you guys, everybody put into that. I'm a big fan. Yeah, it's a cool translation in a way. I mean, it's quirky and all translations have their good parts and bad parts. And, you know, there is some stuff in there that you read and you're like, what the heck is this? Uh, but, uh, I do think, uh, for you, if, yeah, if you're, if some of your listeners aren't familiar with it, the CEB or common English Bible, where it originated was, it was an effort to, uh, use a, a pretty diverse set of translators. Um, so even though Tom and I or two of them, uh, there were a lot of people who weren't like us who were involved in the translation of it. Uh, but it was particularly designed to be used uh, for readability, uh, but not in the same way of the message or something, which is a little bit closer to a paraphrase kind of thing. But it's the, the title of it really is what it is. I mean, it's, you know, what, what would common English sound like? So, uh, just for example, it's the, it's the only biblical translation that uses contractions 
if you want to believe mm. that. So, I mean, can't, Curious. won't. And, you know, if you go back and look at your Bibles, they, they don't, it's always cannot or will not or whatever. You know, so it's just, it's just stuff like that that I think helps the, the readability of it. But let me tell you something. Translating judges into common English is difficult. Like, how many different ways <laughs> are there to say they slaughtered everyone? You know, I mean, you got to come up with uh, sort of all these, uh, it's, you know, it's stuff. But uh, it was a great Did project you- to work on. And there's a, there's a common English study Bible out now. Uh, that goes along with it as well, where they had us go back and kind of write an introduction and then, you know, study notes uh, to the books that we did. So um, really, really nice work as well there, I think. So how many times, this is another aside from being in your class before we digress (laughs) into less uh, mature discussions um, as we play with stereotypes. But last, last more serious question before, yeah, it's going to take a turn for the worst. I'm sorry. Um, I remember, I remember you telling us that Hebrew, Hebrew uh, in the Hebrew class that I took that I always misremember Byron being in, but he wasn't. Um, there, there was the the Hebrew word for y'all, for y'all. Um, and so I'm just curious: was there a temptation to include y'all into the Common English Bible <laughs> translation of Judges? Yeah, I think actually I may have sent that in in the original draft just to see if I could get it through. Uh, but I believe the response I got was something like, this is not the redneck English version. And so, uh, and I was like, look, yeah, I'm from Georgia. I don't know if y'all remember that about me. Uh, I do. That's why I remember Atlanta. the y'all thing. You said yeah. y'all is proper English because y'all is That's from it. Hebrew. And, right. Yeah. I'm from Atlanta, you know, hot Atlanta, <laughs> the ATL, the dirty, dirty, all that. And, uh, but they didn't, yeah, they wouldn't really go for it. So it was like, uh, I was disappointed, but you know, sometimes you just got to. And we, we mourn with you as well, because that's yeah, a Yeah, mourning, that was good. Yeah, mourning. <laughs> Joshua, so was, uh, clearly, Joshua clearly said, y'all need to go around Jericho seven times, and y'all need to be blowing the well, trumpets, y'all need to be doing this and that. Yeah, it was, it was more like, y'all fixing to. <laughs> that's how we're saying this stuff. Y'all fixing to go. Okay, oh, man. Fixing, we, yeah, so that's, if you're going to say it, I mean. Say and it then, right. And then you say you want to, but it's full fa- so we we fixing to go. Yaunt to, yaunt. That means I'm fixing to go. Do you want to go too? Okay. You know. So well, see. So next time I preach though. from the Common English Bible mm-hmm. from Judges, I'm mm-hmm. going to make mention of all of these things um, I love that it. you are, are are teaching me still to this day. Well, and uh, and when you get to the end of the read, no liturgical fashion, but when you read that and you get to the end, you say, you know. This is the word of the Lord, and they say, "Thanks be to God." Be to God. Uh, yeah. Just say, "This is the word of the Lord," but I know the guy who wrote it at his uh, desk uh, while watching <laughs> WWE, <laughs> and so uh, just have them say, uh, "Thanks be to Brad," and uh, and that'll, oh, be, my uh, that'll be fine. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure that will go over well with the, the my, polity and the DS, and everyone yeah, that it, gets told it, that I did that. It probably won't. <laughs> Well, seems like a perfect point to transition. Uh, we're gonna oh, have wow. some fun, Brad. I know you, you're not you're not a typical season saint. Um, and just to just to forewarn you, mm. with every long form show, we we intentionally try to ask what would be considered very stereotypical, if not even potentially insulting questions. Oh, good. Um, it's so, like when you were in class. This is perfect. So you should be used to this <laughs> exactly, at this yeah. point. You get um, it. So for all of our millennial guests, we level. Uh, accusatory questions of a very stereotypical nature about how they, you know, still live at home in their grand, in their mom and dad's basement <laughs> and how they don't have any money and how they are entitled to have participation trophies and sell essential oils and all it. these things. I love and then it. 
with our nuns and duns, we asked them about why they're such sinners and if their sin will rub off on us if we hang out with them too much and mm. whether or not they're ever going to find Jesus and come back to So we just intentionally do this, not to actually insult you, but to address stereotypes that do more to cause generational discourse or you know, generational separation and infighting than anything, than bringing us together. So we're going to do the same to you. And again, for our listeners and for your benefit, we know you're not as seasoned a saint as we might normally shoot to have on this podcast, but we're going to assume that you might already be practicing some more seasonal saint things so that when you get to a certain age, it will become second nature. Mm. So with, with that being said, uh, bear in mind as we ask these questions, maybe some of this is, is your prerequisites to once you are uh, a far more seasoned saint, this is the way you're going to live. Um, but with that being said, are you ready to play how much of a crotchety old Christian are you? Mm, I love it already. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm ready. Bring it on. <laughs> All right, let's get it. You ready, Byron? Let's do it. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so this it seems wrong, but I'm gonna I'm gonna call you Brad without any doctor or professor at the beginning of it. Brad, have you ever yelled "Get off my lawn" to children? I am happy to say no to that. But then again, I live in Southern California, so we don't have lawns, so it's okay. probably a wash. But no, I'm go- <laughs> I'm going no on that. No. Never yelled at children for doing things like being children near I'm you. I'm happy to say no on that one. That's the okay. one that I probably right. get. <laughs> well, I, I doubt we're going to get this one either, but... <clears throat> oh, how many, how many times have you complained about drums being used during morning worship? Oh, I'm also happy to say no on that because last Sunday I was the drummer in our oh. morning worship service. Oh, man. So I, was, yeah, I couldn't I, remember clearly, but I was like, I think he plays the drums. Yeah, I texted so, okay. out a few uh, <laughs> memes of, uh, you remember old Animal from the Muppet Show with the drums? Yes. Yep. So I, I texted out a few memes of that to people just so they would know what to expect. Uh, including the leader uh, who, uh, yeah. So uh, I'm happy to say no. I'm so far. I'm I'm like breaking the stereotypes. I love this. For sure, we're gonna ask you five questions in total. Should have prefaced okay. with that, and All we'll right, score maybe, you maybe out I'll of five. Go, maybe I'll go five for five. This is good. Okay. We'll see. We'll see. So far, you you have nothing. No, no strikes against you for being a crotchety old Christian. Question awesome. number three. <clears throat> when was the last time you started off a lecture? And this doesn't have to be a classroom lecture, but just okay. any lecture whatsoever to a young person with a back in my day, <laughs> okay. dot, 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 That's followed fair. by why mm-hmm. the past was better than the present. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Uh, yeah. What's today? <laughs> Saturday. We're recording this on a Saturday, right? Uh, True. Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, Can no, you that tell happened. us what it was? Can you tell us yeah. context? Briefly? Well, yeah, uh, it was uh, it was a general education class on uh, on on I believe uh, New Testament uh, that I was teaching. Yeah, and uh, we were talking about the Book of Revelation. And so I want to say that I think only half your statement is true. Uh, I did start <laughs> off with a back in the day kind of a thing, but I really wasn't holding it up as better. But I was holding it up as more fun. So maybe that counts. So uh, we were discussing. 
we were discussing dispensationalist theology. Fun. Uh, yeah, it always makes for a great, you know. Uh, <laughs> and we were discussing the the uh, Left Behind novels. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic. Yeah, right. So now the problem is, though, when you guys were in school, uh, these were really at the height of their popularity. And you do a little survey. How many of you have ever read Left Behind? All the hands in the room go up. This has changed markedly, as you may know. So, you know, how many have read Left Behind? There's like one out of 40, you know. Sure. Um, but but they've sort of heard about, you know, dispensationalist theology, generally speaking. So we were talking about the rapture and uh, I was kind of debunking this this idea. And and uh, but as an illustration, though, I see, you know, back in the day when I was growing up, we used to at youth camp and stuff, we used to have rapture practice. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So rapture practice was. Oh, yeah. This was big. While we were, you know, while you were around in the sanctuary or doing whatever you're doing, you know, in the tabernacle there uh, on the campground, uh, <laughs> anytime the leader would yell rapture practice, you were supposed to jump as high as you could, you know, oh, sort man. Of simulate flying to be caught up, air. to be caught yeah, up in the air. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. First Thessalonians four. Um, and so um, <laughs> I was explaining and by the way, demonstrating rapture practice to them and oh um, yeah they just gave me the look that you know students give you which is like <laughs> oh, oh that's you're so yeah you're so cute. I'm, sh- I'm sure john nelson darby would have been so proud of you well done my friend well done <laughs> it's never too late to kiss up and you just did it right there by showing i mean now john nelson darby was the founder of the Oh man, now you're pushing it. Here's the deal. Over the summer, over the summer, I was fresher on this because Revelation was in lectionary, and I just Mm -hmm. decided to stick it out. And I decided to deviate during ordinary time and just preach through all of Revelation. Oh my my gosh, I love it. My brain hurts so bad after that. I never read more commentaries and more books. But uh, would you say that your your crowd, uh, you know, you and kind of your immediate peers? Were you was I mean, were you, would you say you were super influenced by the kind of left behind? One hundred percent. It shaped okay. our evangelical okay. eschatology for okay. sure. Yeah. But without even having to read it, it was just sure. kind of this is obviously uh, I mean, you might as well call it uh, nonfiction that was inspired yeah. by a fictional story or whatever. But very, very much. So I would say I, I had in curious enough. I saw in my age, who's kind of newer to this Jesus God Bible Christianity thing, they mm-hmm. decided, hey, man, I heard about that Left Behind thing. I feel like I should read it. And they nope. were new enough in, in mm. faith and everything that I said, you know what? Go ahead and read it, but do it with a <laughs> grain of salt. And uh-huh. then come and talk to me afterwards, and we should talk about that. And then yeah. I, gave her, I gave her some other books that I, I thought would be better for her to read, including yeah. Zach, Zach Hunt's Unraptured, which is a fun read. So. Yeah. Well, and just I, the only reason I bring it up is um, specifically about the, the, the book of Revelation and this whole, you know, kind of left behind thing. My, my absolute favorite book on this is a little older uh, now from back in 1999 is a book by Barbara Rossing, uh, R-O-S-S-I-N-G a New Testament scholar, and uh, she wrote a book called The Choice Between Two Cities. And mm. it's basically, a, it's a kind of a, a, half the book is, a, I mean, a super intelligent critique of Left Behind and uh, all of the elements that go along with that. And then the other half of the book is sort of, okay, uh, here's a different way to read the book of Revelation if you're not going to sort of do it that way. 
mm-hmm. and one that in fact moves in a sort of a different direction. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's still one of my favorite books for kind of doing both of those tasks at the same time. Um, hmm. So, yeah, super good stuff. Well, in my town, the Schofield Reference Bible is pretty mm. popular, so there I should it probably is. go read that book. That's a no. That's a... You probably shouldn't. No, the book you recommended. Oh, okay. Not the I, was Reference the Bible. I was like, no, nah, you're good. No. Yeah. So, so <laughs> we talked about that in class too, as that was the means by which the whole dispensationalist theology really got popularized in North America, particularly uh, throughout the nineteen. But what did John Nelson? Darby found. I can't remember now. You need to tell me now. It's uh, the, my brain. I the, can't. You didn't just throw it in your Google machine right then while we were. Oh, uh, I could have. Okay. Uh, the the Plymouth Brethren Church. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I actually remembered John Nelson Darby. That was nice, John. My own my own brain without Google. Um, <clears throat> but so I don't know, Byron. Are we going to score him? Uh, are we going to score him a point against? Uh, him? I think I got. Be... I got to take the L for that one. I, I, I think that's I, the I, only I, one we're probably going to get. So I say we get okay. The L for Sweet. Sure. Okay. All right. All right. Question, <laughs> question four, four, Byron. Go. All right. How often do you call a youth pastor at your church to complain about all these youths? <laughs> uh let's see i have it's been i I have done it but i I was but listen but but so the youth pastor in my church is a guy named matt wilson you guys know that name yes yeah okay so you matt was at point loma with you know right around the time you guys were there i think maybe a couple years later he was a little earlier um, he's a little older than us by like a year or two okay there you go so anyway matt's great but uh here's the deal it was my son that I was complaining about. And that was <laughs> that's like, what I was so, hoping was going to come out of this. Yeah, I was, no, I was it, hoping Absolutely, it was him. Now, my kid, now, so the reason I said it's been a while is so my kid's a sophomore in college now. So I haven't done it in the last, you know, year and a half. But, uh, but yeah, no. Yes, yes to that. And it was about my kid. Oh, that's as soon glorious. as I saw that question, I was like, I, I really hope it's about your son. Yeah, I, I've met your son. 100%. I don't know him well. And it's, I met him when he was a lot younger, obviously, because I haven't been yeah. there in 10 years. <laughs> But yeah. I did get to know him a little he, bit when I was in school. Dude, he was always he's oh. he's kind of like you now. Like you don't met, he's like six four. Yeah, he's huge. I've huge, seen the pictures right. on Facebook and stuff. Yeah. He's so big now; yeah. it's crazy. His girlfriend's like four foot one. I don't know. I mean, she's like <laughs> it's ridiculous. You know, I'm like, okay, well, that's cute. You know. So, but anyway, sorry. Well, I don't know question off question five is question gonna teeter. You're fifty. You're fifty percent right now. So okay. you're two for you're two out of four. Crossity old Christian based on some stereotypes based based on the research that, from our interns. Um, yeah. So question number five. <laughs> you have interns. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. Wait, Wait a minute. Is Byron your intern? I'm <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm okay. the talent. I don't do any work. <laughs> I just show up. We technically sure. have an executive producer, um, but oh, we so don't actually have interns. Maybe the interns so. are just size four kids. Sure. They, that can be, <laughs> sure. And they mostly just hinder production than anything. Fair. So question number five, this is the deal breaker. This is the, it. it's going to be, it's going to be a two part question though, because okay. it really addresses part of why we have some of these generational conversations. It's um, like Nazarene Bible quizzing, two part question. Sure. Two part question. <laughs> According to, um, has anyone ever said, so there's a two part question. So I guess you have a chance to, to, to tie. So okay. there's technically five questions, but question five is part two. So has anyone ever said, okay, boomer to you by mistake? question one no um, no i can no? answer that right now no okay no. good um question number two because normally that means you're saying something snidey about the younger generation right. and they're going right. to clap back at you and say okay yep. boomer yeah um so number part two um 
have you ever used and this is this is trending right now so it's probably really fresh and really new so i it's probably a no again but have you ever used a a hashtag called a plea for gen z or similar hashtag which basically is gen x i guess is attempt to try to say hey gen z be better than millennials hey gen z don't give into this nonsense with the boomers it's it's some sort of homage to the the upcoming generation to be better um and to which they're responding very negatively, by the way. They're basically saying, like, you guys ruined everything. You want us to fix yeah. it? No, thank you. So have you ever oh. used any sort of, like, social media shout-out hashtag thing to appeal to younger generations? Hmm. Not to appeal to them to be better like that. Uh, you know, I've tried to do it to appeal to them to sort of get their attention. Mostly, uh, as a Generation Xer, my hashtag is something like, we don't really give a crap. <laughs> so that's my yeah i mean that's so so i'm going no i'm going no on both of those which means i think i win right yeah you edge out barely Sweet. so so you are not by the by the narrowest of margins you are not a crotchety okay. old so Christian. see i have a theory as to why i won that game it's because i because of what i do for a living i hang out with 18 to 21 year olds like all day every day perpetually so i think a i new, think a yeah, new they, breed they, every every year right so they i think they keep me from uh yeah they keep me from falling into that category at least so far i think and so i think I really, this be. is their victory this is their victory <laughs> <laughs> that just might be why we are that that's so so interested in having these discussions with you because you're uniquely positioned for very intergenerational discourse to talk about some of these interesting changes and the disconnects between generations, which I'm very excited to get to yeah. get to. Before we do that, though, we, we want to ask you some questions. We ask every guest. Okay. And when we get that out of the way, we're going to ask some more specifics about what you do and the generational interactions that you experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, great. So the first question we always ask everybody in the podcast, because we think it's important, is in your own words, what is the church? Yeah, um, I think, you know, coming from being an Old Testament person, for me, I, I always think uh, about that in a way that's informed by those texts. So um, to me, it goes back to the church as kind of a reconstituted Israel uh, from the Old Testament, by which I mean uh, that the church has become uh, sort of the means in the world, the instrument in the world that God is using to, to do God's redemptive mission in the world. So it comes out of something like um, a Genesis 12, uh, a group of people that uh, are uh, to be an instrument of blessing to all the families of the earth. Uh, but then especially um, my, my take on is kind of informed, especially by uh, Exodus 19, where you get the, uh, the language about um, uh, priestly kingdom and holy nation and these kinds of elements of uh, the church being, I think, a sort of a called out or, or gathered group of people that are responding to grace, uh, but not for their own sake, but for the sake of being that kind of instrument, that kingdom of priests, the blessing bringers, the, those who carry the presence of God into the world and, uh, and participate uh, with God in God's redemptive work going on in the world. So for me, it's more than a Church is more than just a gathering. Um, it's a place that is certainly a gathering, but it's meant to have an instrumental kind of nature to it uh, in the world. Uh, that we participate in a larger mission that is, uh, that is really God's mission in the world. 
So we we go to great lengths to try to not censor some of the shortcomings we see in the church. And we also try to be optimistic and hopeful as well. But given your own personal definition and your own personal journey um, in just participating in the church in, in general, despite what might sometimes feel like an imperfect representation of the church, is there anything more to why you're still a part of it? Part of this podcast, part of the book is born out of our generation just leaving and your generation mm-hmm. had a had had a number that left too mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. i'm so curious if, if there's any more you would add to that about why you're still a part of it yeah i mean i think there's a number of reasons for me personally that might not pertain to everybody um and uh, i think we have to admit that uh for me some of it is uh is socialization i mean i i was essentially born into the church raised in it um, and for me, that has continued to hold um, a pretty big piece just in that all of you know, my networks of friends and family and all of that. So I guess I'm getting around to saying that for me, some of the reason for staying uh, is, is not doesn't really have anything to do with uh, the church in a religious or, or spiritual sense, uh, but is a place where... Um, uh, those kind of connections are. So I think I have to be honest and sort of admit that uh, and, and, and say that, even though obviously sometimes those very kinds of relationships can be uh, problematic and can, can certainly push one to, to need to withdraw. Uh, but I, if I was to give a more, I guess, I don't know, sophisticated or meaningful answer or something, I really do think for me, it's, it's what I said at the end there, that it's my sense that that this really isn't about the church. It's about a mission of God that's underway in the world, that God is trying to do this kind of mission of uh, kind of redemptive mission of restoring creation back to uh, the, the kind of intentions that God has for it and so on. And so for me, it, I guess I stay because I think that this really isn't about the church and so when I look around the church and, and see the flaws and the things that you're talking about and, uh, and even experience those and even contribute to them uh, in many ways, um, I often think, you know, this is the church is sort of an imperfect gathering, uh, but it's really not an end in itself. And it's really not about the church itself. It's about here's a way, one way, and I think not the only way but one way to participate in this larger mission of God that's going on in the world. Um, and so that's, that's probably the more, I guess, I don't know, theological reason or something for, for, for saying that. Um, and then I guess, lastly, I mean, part of it's just a weird audaciousness of hope to say that, um, that all throughout the biblical story anyway, the picture of God I see is of a God who, who gets attached to a people and remains committed to that people, um, even when that people sometimes whew, is uh, dreadful, to say the least, uh, or, or worse, <laughs> or certainly problematic and broken. Um, and yet God remains attached to them and say, I'm going to I'm going to work through this group of people. So as a result of that, I have this weird, like, I don't know, audacity of hope to quote, you know, Barack Obama to sort of say, you know, I feel like God remains attached to this, to this group, this gathering of, of people uh, called the church uh, and will continue to try to work with and through and in and around and 
all of that with them. Uh, but I don't think that's the only thing God is doing in the world. I don't think it's the only place of God's work. But I do just kind of remain hopeful that that is, you know, that is still a place where that happens. So I guess that's my more, uh, yeah, more theological answer to go with the first one that was <laughs> so, more realistic. Probably. I had some teenagers that articulated it a little differently when I was a youth pastor about that God not giving up on us and yeah. kind of putting up, putting up with us, so to speak. It was uh, pretty, it was pretty curious. One of the, uh, I guess you would say, I don't know, the, one, the way they described Israel was, man, they be trifling. And it just made me laugh so much. <laughs> That's all they would ever tell me. Like, they be like trifling, but, like but God hasn't given up on them. So I, like I still, it. to this day, try to emphasize how out of touch with modern day slang I am by yeah. recalling that and laughing at myself. It's, but It's good. I don't know what that means, but it sounds right. I mean, that's, that's basically, you know. Ask your son and it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I'm from, you know, run DMC. So like the UB Illin I get, but I don't, I don't know the, the trifling. I, I don't know if that translates exactly, yeah, but maybe, maybe it's close. But I, I like it. Similar idea, I like yeah. it. I like it. <laughs> so, um, so we do have another question for you then. With all of that being said, did you ever at one point in your life consider leaving them or walking away from the church? Yeah, not at one point, like uh, all the time. Like, I mean, every, <laughs> seriously, I mean, you know, yeah. every other day it feels like. And, and I feel like if, if you're not doing that, then then you're not being honest and realistic about Curious. about how how much of a, a struggle it is to uh, to be a part of the people of God. And to me, that's one of the you know, I don't know if this is a positive or a negative. I mean, some days it's positive, some days it's negative. But one of the things you get about the church is uh, if you do it right, I guess, in my view, <laughs> if you do it right, according to what I think is right, uh, then you're you're in a church where you are with people that you didn't choose and i know that in our kind of consumerist society approach to church that often we've often gotten around that by sort of being super selective about you know where we go and and like goes with like and stuff like that but if you do it right in my view uh when you go to church you you're with a group of people that you didn't you didn't select that group of people um, and it means that, uh, through God's grace, you got to find a way not just to coexist with each other, but to, to be about the larger work of God in the world. But if you're not being honest about how crappy that is, or at least how hard to do it <laughs> is sometimes, you're not, you know, I mean, the fact that you got to go to church and sit by somebody who holds, you know, let's just say political views that are anathema to you. Um, and yet you've got to take communion with them. Uh, you know, that is both the magic of the church, the idea that there is a kingdom of God that overcomes those entrenchments and divides. But it's also the thing that makes you say, I'm really not in the mood for Donald Trump the third over there with his, you know, make the church great again, red hat on. And I'm just, today is not the day. Okay. I can't, you know, I might give him a stone cold stunner if he walks over to me or something. So it's sort of w, like, is that a know, WWE reference? Yes, Josiah. Wow. I don't wow. watch that. I'm wow. sorry. I'm sorry. Just, wow. I'm sorry. Wow. Uh, anyway, could, remember, uh, Dr. Kelly would go back and just, retroactively fail you. So you wouldn't be able to <laughs> Josiah anymore. does not smell what the rock is cooking. Okay. Um, okay. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think if you're not, 
if if there aren't days where you feel like I can't take this anymore, uh, you're not being honest. Uh, but but that's that's the struggle of 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 the church. I think it's always been the struggle of the people of God uh, throughout uh, the entire biblical story and throughout history is uh, those kind of strains uh, go with the idea of being a, a people. And I guess for me, it's born out of a conviction. And this is a place where I probably, even though I'm Gen X, I don't probably fit the mold just super great in this way. In that it is born out of a conviction for me that participating in the work of God is not an individual or individualistic thing. Uh, that you can only participate if you participate in community. Uh, and again, I don't mean that to say that the church is the only place one can find that community. Um, but I do think it is one place that one can. But I want to I want to put the caveat in to say, though, because I am shilling a little bit for for the church. Um, and just to say that my two things, I guess, my experience by and large in the church has been positive. Um, that's not the experience of everyone. And uh, and there are a lot of reasons why mine's been positive. Some of it's been lucky. Some of it's because of the privilege. I'm a white male. You know, I can walk into, I'm ordained. I've got a doctorate. I can walk into the room and, you know, that carries with it some stuff. So, I mean, there's social and class and gender elements that have, have helped to make my experience in the church good. Um, so I want to be honest and say that's part of the reason I, I can shill for the church is my experience by and large. I mean, there have been times. Right. But by and large, it's been it's been a positive experience. Uh, but the other thing that I want to be quick to say about it is just that I I think it's what all this means is if you're going to have this kind of conviction of saying, yeah, the church is a great place to participate in the in the uh, work of God in the world. And maybe it's the best place to do it. I think with that, we have to say, or at least not we, I have to say, um, I would want to tell somebody, you need to find, though, the church where you can fully participate in a healthy and good way. Um, And I hope there's a difference there between saying, you know, go shop for the church you like um, (laughs) versus, you know, and I'm thinking here, honestly, I'm thinking here of our LGBTQIA folks um, and, and the idea uh, of being able to say to, um, you know, uh, a student who's out uh, and they're telling me, you know, I want to be in this and such a denomination, but they won't accept me. You know, I, I feel like I have to say to them at that point, um, you know, it's OK for you to go to a place that will um, find a place that that will that will allow you to uh, to be fully present as a member of the church. So I just think that's an important caveat to say um, if we're going to sort of, I guess, hold up the church as a place that, yeah, I wish you would kind of be in. Um, I think we have to say, you know, be in, but be in in a way that is healthy and, and, and good for you. Hmm. So you have a you have a specific history with the church that I find curious as well. I mean, obviously, being a student of yours and hearing some of your stories, I remember some of them. But for the benefit of uh, my own recollection and for our listeners, um, could you briefly tell us? I mean, you didn't start off as a professor. You started right. off as a pastor, right? 
kind of a youth pastor. Uh, yeah. So I went through what is, uh, what was, 50, you know, 20, 25 years ago, a pretty typical road for someone who ends up as a professor in a, in a denominate affiliated or even just Christian liberal arts university. Um, I went, I, so yeah, I mean, I've been in the church of the Nazarene like from the womb on, uh, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I, church services as a unborn child than uh, than some people do in their whole life so it's kind of one of those deals um but uh was raised and i did every churchy thing you could do as a kid coming up church camps i did bible quizzing all you know you name it i did it and uh and then went to college feeling a feeling a call into ministry uh, thinking it would be a pastoral ministry, but you know, who knows, you just go there and start doing it. And, uh, I went to a Nazarene university, the one in Nashville, uh, and, uh, and there became convinced that that call was, was, uh, teaching particularly old Testament stuff. And so, uh, when I went to grad school though, I really did get what I still believe was a great piece of advice, uh, for me in my time, I uh, had a professor there who said, you know, when you go out to grad school, find a church and just get involved in the church in whatever little way you can. You know, teach Sunday school class, work in the nursery, do, just do something that will allow you to to have a foot in a worshiping congregation while you're doing all this grad school stuff for the next seven, eight years, you know, all that. And so uh, I was lucky enough to do that in a way that I hadn't expected, which was I landed a job. Uh, one of those kind of glorious part-time youth and music uh, jobs that a lot of smaller <laughs> churches have, uh, but ended up being at the same church for eight years. And so uh, that was really interesting. Outlived two senior pastors, one of whom tried really hard to get me fired uh, and oh. uh, eventually left. Fun. Yeah, eventually left. Uh, and, uh, but um, I think, uh, I think just because of that, uh, eight years, the same congregation, you see sort of the good, the bad, the ugly, the, you know, everything there. Uh, and you do have to constantly ask yourself, you know, what the heck am I doing here? You know, this isn't even what I want to do for a living. I'm just doing this as a, like a kind of a part-time gig while I'm in school and I'm trying to get a real job or whatever, you know, in your mind, <laughs> you're the, you know, and, uh, how invested are you in this? Exactly. Issue? Right. I mean, so there's times when you're always asking yourself that. And that's what I meant earlier was like, if you're not, if there aren't day, if you're in the church, particularly if you're in ministry, my view, if there aren't days where you're asking yourself, what the heck am I doing here? Um, you know, you're not being <laughs> honest, you know, but hopefully huh. there, there's also that other side of the coin, because I think asking those questions forces you to try to answer them. And uh, you begin to start to say, OK, what am I doing? And that's what leads to some of those conversations. And I think that's where newer generations started with my own, but, but then the generations that have followed us. And I see my students who are now 18 to 21-year-olds doing this all the time. They're rethinking this question. What is the church? Why is it here? Why am I here? You know, what is it doing in the world? And they're rethinking it, I think, in amazingly creative ways, but some of which look pretty different from traditional ideas about church and I, I think that's exciting so the end game for you was always to become a professor yeah yeah and how I do you see yeah. that i was well i was gonna say how yeah. do you see that in, in giving back to the life of the church because 
there's sometimes a tumultuous relationship, at least in our circles, not always in oh. every denomination, but yeah. there's some there's sometimes some tension between uh, the academy and you know the the church body that is not so stoked about. Oh yeah, that's great. You you have a big degree, and who cares? Um, but, yeah. <laughs> how, how do you see that? How do you see that tension lived out, but still contributing to the church despite the tension that might be there? Well, here's a good example of that. Uh, that by the way, you are given to understatement with the way that you just express that right there. Yeah. There's some sometimes some tension. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> always lots yeah. of tension is All, that better? there's never not attention uh and uh, yeah uh, and i think i think in a way for me um working at a kind of school like point loma is a little bit of a analogy for what you're talking about with the church i mean there i certainly not that i could just go get a job somewhere else i mean i'm not that great and jobs are hard to get but there are days when you think <laughs> you know like like wow this would <laughs> Why am I teaching at a Christian school where a DS is sending me an email saying, you know, what are you doing, you know, leading our kids away from faith by telling them that, you know, God didn't write the Bible or whatever. Um, and, and you think to yourself, man, why, why don't I just go teach like at a secular school or whatever? And, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, if that's, if that's where you belong, that's where you belong. But I think, for me, it's a, it's a little analogy to what you're talking about with the church. Cause yes, there's constant tension between the church and its academic bodies. And there, there always has been, and I imagine there always will be. Um, so there, I think for me, and I can't speak for in, anybody else, but for me, that just shows it, to me, this is all about the long game. Um, changing the church is all about the long game. Uh, you you're trying to change it and you're trying to affect change that that there's a good chance you might never see or see in any kind of really substantial or wide wide ranging way. Um, but it keeps bringing me back to that to say, I'm yeah, I'm interested in in these 18 to 21 year olds. But what I'm really interested in is what they might be like in the church when they're 50. Uh, and if we can begin to to change the long game of the church, then I think we can begin to move in, in some of these more positive ways. And that's my fear with, honestly, that's my fear with people leaving the church and not coming back um, is, and I understand there's reasons for that. And sometimes you need to, like, sometimes you've got to get out so that you can, you know, survive. And I totally get that. But I think the fear with it or my what I worry about losing with it is uh, is the long game that it's only this kind of change we're working at is something that's going to happen over a long period of time. And that's not for everybody. But I try to bring myself back to that whenever there are days like, you know, really recently we got a couple of DSs are really upset with us over not being, I think, in their view, harsh enough about LGBTQ stuff, you know, um, and that we're not, you know, and they mean Point Loma as a whole. They don't just mean the School of Theology, that we're not, you know, we're not taking a hard enough line on this for, for their liking or whatever, you know. Um, and I think when that happens, you just have to, you know, I come back to it. This is, a, this is the, the long game. And at least on some days, that's enough to make me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on other days, there are multiple hours of WWE that can be watched. And, uh, you know, 
go from there. But yeah, I think tension, tension between those, uh, let me rephrase your statement, Josiah. I think it's not just, I mean, clearly it is between professor or educational colleges or whatever, and sometimes churches and church leadership. But I think a lot of it is tension between those who want to think critically. And I don't, by critically, I don't mean negatively. I mean, critically, I mean, analytically about, uh, about the church, the nature of the church, the operation of the church, the going on in the church and those who don't. And what I see happening a lot with our younger folks uh, both your, you know, y'all's age and younger, uh, is it's, oh, sorry. Did I do the y'all right there? That was, <laughs> no, the you're good. Oh, okay. It's, it's, uh, in the, it's in the original text. Sweet. So holy. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, but what, honestly, what I see happening a lot where, you know, folks are, are feeling pushed out of the church, which by the way, I think that's the way to talk about what's happening. It's not that they're leaving the church is that they're feeling pushed out. Um, or that there's no space for them. Uh, to me, a lot of it is they want to think critically about the church, the nature of the church, the future of the church, all of it. Um, and those who are often doing the pushing uh, don't want to think about those things. And so there's a feeling of kind of tension or unwelcomeness or, or something like that. So I don't think that's ever going to go away. I think we have to be honest about it and then figure out how to work with it. And Byron, Byron has shared stories. I've shared stories in our estimation. And Byron, correct me if, if I'm not speaking for you. Um, if you're lying, yeah, I'll, I'll correct you. Yeah. <laughs> um, the generational division seems to fall along those lines where maybe there's there's uh, the established leadership and the up and coming leadership. And they have some mm -hmm. of those differences and that tension. I'm curious, though, as a professor, because you 15 years, right? You've been professoring for uh, well years. i've been at i've been at point loma for 15 years but i was yeah i was somewhere else before that um so having having some of your students namely me and byron as some of the first that you have seen go through all four years uh, i'm just curious that we could throw stats we talk about stats all the time we talk about dropout rates but you used language there that sort of shifts the narrative slightly uh pushed out mm -hmm. so I, i'm curious byron did you feel pushed out a little bit I mean, my last job, I got fired. So, yeah, I didn't have a choice. Not of the church. I mean, like, like, the thing is, like, I feel like I've been pushed out of ministry. I've never felt like I was pushed out of the church. And actually, to be honest, for my, my situation and how I view it, um, by pushing me out of ministry, one of the things that people have done is made my voice louder and more obnoxious. Because <laughs> what can they do to me <laughs> now? excommunicate well, me i guess or like, i mean they, they 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 have done that but they've also marginalized the voice at the same time because now true, but... you, you no longer have to be taken seriously you know they've they've they, yeah. you're out on the fringe you know whatever they've you know you know what i mean I and mean, it's sort of yeah they're I mean, okay. you can be as loud as you want in their mind probably now well and i was only ever fired from one church that was my last church um and it wasn't the nazarene denomination anyway but not that, that really matters but yeah. Um, I'm still a member of Nazarene church now. And I, I live in a very conservative area of Northern Arizona and mm -hmm. I speak my opinion. And when I was a pastor, I thought very carefully about what I said, despite what Josiah might say about me as a whole. Um, <laughs> I do actually think about how I say things in public in particular, uh, most of the time, most of the time. Uh, and I was very careful about how I worded things when I would preach or like do things, you know, that I knew could come back on me. Sure. I was protecting myself. Now I'm just out. I mean, I just say it <laughs> like I don't worry about it anymore. 
And so I, I do feel like it's a little bit marginalized, but not necessarily in the Nazarene church as much. That was you. more from the other denomination I was in. And that's fine. Cause it wasn't really my denomination anyway. I was just yeah. working. Um, but you. you know, like I still feel like we need to have people who are willing to say, Hey, this is where we're screwing up. This is what we're doing, but this is how we can possibly fix it. Or, Hey, are we actually mm-hmm. loving people the way we, we say we are? Are we treating people with any respect at all? Um, mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the reason I never, I haven't left the church. Cause there are times where I said, you know what? I think I'd be good not going to church ever again. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and that doesn't yeah. necessarily impact my view of God or Christ in any way. It doesn't at all actually. Um, but now I feel like there, we need to have people who are willing to say, Hey, yeah, you might've tried to silence me, but I'm not leaving. I'll mm-hmm. still be here. And mm-hmm. eventually, you know, like we've talked about in the podcast before, like in some ways people of our generation are waiting for other people to die, which is kind of sad. Um, it's not a healthy, I mean, I'm saying that's, that's true. I feel like from, from a lot of people. No, of our age, I've heard that. a lot of people say that, yeah. but mm-hmm. it's also not super healthy. In my opinion, the, the multi-generational church can be yeah. a beautiful thing. And yeah. that also means we're always going to fight about stupid things. Yep. We're always going to be and, into their and some, things some things that aren't stupid. Yeah, yeah I mean, exactly. Things that aren't things I that mean, do matter. Yeah. But I right. mean, we start a lot with like the. I feel like a lot of times the conflict, at least in the church that I grew up in, and like this generation, we started with dumber things though, like oh the music, like mm-hmm. the, we talked about the drums, you know, being on stage, stuff like that's where it started. And now with the rest of our culture, we've become so divided on everything that mm-hmm. we're we're actively killing the church in a lot of ways. Um, but I'm hoping at some point we can heal some of that stuff and say, Hey, yeah, I don't necessarily believe everything you believe or see it the way you see it, but mm-hmm. Christ is the important part. And we need to be together to worship and be a part of that body that moves in the world. Yeah. So, and, and I will say, you know, two things to what you said, which I think, yeah, those comments, I, I totally hear you. And I think the one thing about, you know, to be pushed out doesn't necessarily mean, sort of actively pushed out. It also means yeah. there's no space made uh, for you, um, no space for your voice, for your body, for your actions, you know. So it, it can also be sort of a passive pushing out uh, by lack yeah. of hospitality, hospitality and lack of space. Um, but also, you know, also to what you said, um, there is something really interesting about the church and really kind of in some ways countercultural, although I think we've gotten away from it a lot of times. But some of the, again, newer churches, I don't know if you want to call them millennial churches or whatever, but they're starting to recapture it, is the countercultural nature of the church as a uh, truly intergenerational gathering uh, and truly a gathering that at least at least in theory, I guess, is a gathering of people that crosses all kinds of lines, uh, age lines, generational lines, ideological and political lines, socioeconomic lines. I mean, in its best, in its best picture, the church is a place and one of the very few places left, I think in our society where that gathering at least has the potential of happening. And if Mm -hmm. it can happen, uh, then I think not only is it, you know, interesting stuff can happen inside the church among the people who are there, but it can also be a pretty powerful cross-cultural, I mean, sorry, counter-cultural kind of witness to a world that is becoming increasingly, um, I think, not just divided, but, but we've always been sort of divided, but I think entrenched 
Um, yeah. where, you know, you just hang with your people and it becomes sort of an echo chamber. And, you know, and I always think of, to me, the opposite example of the church as we're describing it here in its ideal form. Um, the opposite example of the church is sort of like algorithms on Facebook or something like that, where, you know, <laughs> yeah. face, Facebook learns what you want to hear and they tell you give it what to you, you want to hear. They give it to yeah. you. Um, and they keep the other stuff away from you by and large, you know, except for trolls and whatnot, but sure. You all don't have any <laughs> trolls, no trolls on this podcast, but, uh, but I think the church has, so the we celebrate has, our trolls. You celebrate that's good. <laughs> trolls should be, we should not discriminate against trolls. I mean, I just like hashtag give trolls a chance is what yeah. I'm, uh, sort of <laughs> but I, I think there's a, there's a fiercely counter cultural. And I don't mean that in a Howard Wassian, like ridiculous sort of way. Sorry. Got a little editorial there, uh, but I don't mean that in, uh, in a, a Howard Wassian alternative polis sort of way. I mean it in terms of a fiercely countercultural witness where like this is a place where people who are really separated from each other through a lot of lines in our culture uh, come together and we agree on almost nothing except we uh, share communion together in the hopes that uh, we lean into the way that a broken body uh, symbolizes a brokenness that can be uh, redeemed and resurrected. You know, so I, I think there's that powerful possibility there. No. But if churches, I understand why churches run away from it because it's super <clears throat> hard. Yeah. Well, and that's also part of, so I, it's curious uh, to, you've, you've watched some of your former students graduate and go on to ministry and me and Byron have kept up on this. We've talked about this, that it is hard and difficult uh, portion of the call seems to turn into a really simplistic dropout rate. That's, that's how it's addressed, mm -hmm. right? Like that, mm -hmm. this discussion turns into a, well, pastors stop being pastors because X, Y, and Z, or, mm -hmm. you know, especially with the disadvantaged pers or a disadvantaged position of being millennials, then it just turns into a, oh, well, you were just too snowflakey or delicate, or you were entitled or you were this, that, or the other. So I'm curious as as someone who continues to to strive for this long game that you mentioned and addressing some of these forced out issues and stuff how, how much of that has played into your strategic teaching styles or how you have chosen to teach what we're because now you're you're fully entrenched in teaching gen z if i'm if i'm done math correctly right you know what i'll take your word for it all i know is they're 18 to 21 year olds large so age. technically if they're under 22 or 3 they're Gen Z, I believe, okay, is the current. Go, then. So, so you're shifting generation yeah. uh, teach, teaching bases, however you want to say that. So I'm curious how much, how much um, you watching, you know, some of the first students you've taught. I guess we can just use Point Loma um, versus the teach, the teachers, the teaching style you teach now. Mm -hmm. How much of that has changed based on some of these discussions, based on the forced out uh, versus the dropout versus the other, the academia versus church narrative. How much of that has influenced how you teach now? Mm -hmm. uh, all the time, in every way. Um, and part of it is, uh, it's so different now than even, I mean, even just 15 years ago, the majority of the students that I saw, um, you know, in upper division class, like in, you know, sort of majors, you know, in the school of theology or ministry majors or whatever you want to call them. Um, the majority of those were there, um, 
planning to go into some sort of church-based ministry. Um, and now that's, that's, you know, sort of radically not the case. Like it's, it's very, very rare. In fact, when, uh, we have a major who's comes in, like, I want to be a pastor, you know, or, or even, even I want to be a youth pastor. I mean, we get that more a little bit, but still not very much. I mean, uh, most of the majors we have already are coming in with a, either they don't know what form ministry is going to take. They just feel compelled toward it or called toward it. Or they already have a sense of, I know I'm going to do something. I don't know. It might be related to the church. It might not. Or I want to do something that's very different. So it, it, there, you no longer teach in a way that assumes where you're going to be like, okay, you know, when you get out there in your church and you're preaching this passage or you're, you know, teaching in your Sunday school class on this path, you know. And so a lot of it more now, I think, uh, is there is a broader vision in those who are coming to places like Point Loma uh, where they're not that interested in how does, you know, let's just say scripture. How does particular scriptures, how do they relate to the church or the work of the church or ministry or even my own kind of spiritual devotional? They want to know stuff like how does how does reading these texts, how does that impact how we think about immigration issues, border issues, human sexuality, disability, uh, the environment and ecology? I mean, they, they, they have this expectation that... Um, that the Bible and the things we do in Bible and theology should have sort of real life implications. Uh, and that's, that's pretty different. I mean, so I, I'm routinely now having conversations that revolve around those questions and not just questions about, you know, what's the theology of the book of Deuteronomy or something like that. Uh, but how does this relate to the experiences of uh, migration or displaced persons or things like that. Mm. And, and the students Mm. are uh, to a certain extent bringing those questions. So I, I I do think that uh, the move away from uh, kind of church, a church based focus all the time, even in the study of Bible and theology and stuff among younger students, uh, this is a good thing. I mean, it's a gift that, 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 uh, might help bring Christians into real conversation and have something to offer about these kind of things. Uh, not unlike what I'm trying to do in that book with, Hey, do, you know, does the Bible have anything to say to these whole questions about morality of, of war and the effects of war and that kind of stuff. Now, the, I wish that maybe a few of them would be a little more like, I want to do this in the church or like with the church. <laughs> Um, and so I, I am, I, you know, I, and that's, again, I, I, that's coming from a particular place for me, but, uh, but I think the church is, again, one of the reasons I kind of shill for it a little bit is it is also a place where some of the fragmentation of energy and even resources can be brought to bear, uh, where a group can, you know, can do stuff as a group that they wouldn't be able to do even just resource wise. Uh, and, and so I know like my church here, one of the big projects they're involved in is a clean water initiative in, uh, in, uh, South America and Central America and South America and, uh, building wells and, and, you know, things like that. And so there's a marshalling of resources. Now I can tell you the group that spearheads that is a group that's got, I mean, Bernie Sanders folks in it, 
and uh, Donald Trump folks in it and whatever the thing to the right of Donald Trump is. And, you know, all, I mean, it's like it's got this weird mix where they sort of say, you know, I hate you and everything you stand for, uh, except we can, you know, like we agree on this one thing. So, like, let's go get it done. <laughs> so I think that's a place where, like, the church can be a place where that can happen. But it so, doesn't come oh. without cost. So then speaking to that exact thing, um, how do you think, like we talked about the long game and all that, and I, I did mention that some, some people of our generation are kind of just waiting for a generation to pass on mm-hmm. so they can do things, which is a terrible outlook in, on the church in my opinion. Um, but how do you think the church can affect <laughs> – oh, it's true. I mean it's just an honest opinion by a lot of people our age, which is really sad. Yeah. But it's yeah. honest. Well, I, I was actually um, laughing because I'm not sure it's it's actually a bad strategy. <laughs> That's the part I was laughing at. I was like, well, no, there's actually something to that. But, I, but go I'll ahead. I'll be honest. <laughs> I've been there before, too. And I went, that's, that's, I shouldn't go that far. That's not, that's not okay. But um, so how do you think the church can put itself in an, a unique position to bring generations together, to engage, and then do and – not, and not just – be there but like actually do things that, that we are called to do not just uh mm. I, I think a lot of people have said oh we'll just get over it and just sit in church and worship together and then, then move on with your lives i want mm. more than that i want them to be the body of christ together yeah. do you think there's a way the church is uniquely positioned to do that <laughs> or how do you do that or I mean, it's a tough question yeah but... i mean the problem with it is that tr- the reality of church is so local um mm you know, that it's nice to talk about church capital C in these ways. But when you're talking about the church as a, as a gathered body of people, um, it's so affected by the local realities. Um, and so it's almost, I mean, not to punt on that, but it's, it's almost a question that has to be answered in a very localized sort of way. And, uh, I can tell you, I don't know where millennials are on this, but this was, this was a centerpiece of Gen X ideology, uh, the localizing of everything. Um, in fact, that's my article in that aforementioned Gen X book uh, was, essentially, <laughs> uh, was essentially about that. Uh, and that was the way that, that we were, me and my peers were thinking a lot, was that um, you, you know, it's to steal the slogan of the hard rock cafe or whatever you you think globally but act locally you know it's it's local it's it's i heard that a lot and yeah and so i i think though the the flip side of that is it's really hard to answer a question like yours byron because it so depends on the particular gathering and congregation Mm -hmm. where they are and what this so it's almost like i mean the way i encourage people and encourage myself to think about it is um what is mine to do? Like, I can't do everything that I want done. You know, what is mine that I, that I have to do? And is there a way that I can lean into doing that? Um, and is, and what would that look like in the, in the local setting where I am and in the church? And there's going to be, you know, you're going to have to negotiate. I think if you're talking about doing this in a church, you're going to have to negotiate the idea of, you know, how much, how much am I going to bump up against things that are going to restrain me from being able to do what is mine to do and do it in the fullest ways and negotiating that? And, you know, that's always going to be part of it. But uh, I think just being honest about that and saying, you know, that we're not going to be able to work in ideals. I, this may be the Gen Xer in me talking or whatever, but um, 
we're not going to be able to work in ideals. The church will never be ideal. You know, the people of God have never been ideal uh, throughout their story. And I don't have any, again, this might be the Gen Xer in me talking. I don't have any expectation that the church is going to be this ideal place that lives into all of its ideals. Um, Mm. I think it's always going to be this brokenness that resembles the broken body of Christ and looks forward to uh, and tries to bear witness to a resurrected body, um, but does so only partially. So for Mm. me, I would just say, you know, thinking about what is mine to do, what can I do and how can I do it? Who can I partner with to do it? Uh, and letting go, and this is hard, I know, for me especially, letting go of the idea of the ideal stuff. It's got to be ideal or I want it to be ideal or whatever. And, but I, I wasn't kidding earlier when, um, when I said that, that waiting around for people to die, uh, <laughs> even though it's, it's a rather uh, crass probably way of saying it, uh, what, you know, it, that's, that's okay. I mean, that, that is the way that institutions change. I mean, they change as the people in them change. Uh, and, and that's a slow process, and it requires some dying off, I mean, mm-hmm. for sure. But I would just, you know, my challenge back to my students when they do say stuff like that is to say, that's fine, but don't think that when they die off, you're going to be able to step in from the outside and fill that. Um, you're going to have to be there along the way. And part of the challenge is to help people die off gracefully uh, and, uh, and not sort of burn the place down on their way out, uh, <laughs> yeah. which, is, which is, you know, often when people are dying off and they're worried about the people who are coming behind them, uh, that's exactly what happens. You know, they, they do the whole scorched earth thing. So, um, but I, but I, you know, I just want to say, so my, my thing is always, I always want to sort of caveat it by saying um, people have to take good self care of themselves too. So you, you can't put yourself in a situation that is, uh, that is unhealthy or damaging to you. But I think uh, with the right support groups, there's ways to kind of engage in that, but, but finding a church, that that you know is a place where you can fully be there uh that's okay it's okay to leave your denomination and go somewhere else you know it's okay to go where the spirit leads um and and not to be afraid to do that and not to feel like you only have one choice which is either stay in a place that's damaging to you or get out completely Hmm. i just don't think i don't know that we've been honest enough about that and that's something that we I won't say we, that I uh, try to do with my students when these topics come up. Hmm. Absolutely. So, so ending on a, on a note of optimism, since we're going yeah. to have to wrap this up, even though I'm sure Sounds we could good. talk for a long time. Um, I'm curious about... Well, you know I can, because, <laughs> you know, professors, they just talk for a well, living. Prope- professors and pastors both, um, right. and Byron's. And yeah. Well, and I Byron's, mean, you, yeah. but... But Pat, you only work like one day a week, though, right? That's true. That's a very accurate. thirty minutes. Your Byron, average, your sermon says length, all the time. your sermon length is what, Josiah? Oh man, it's like a half hour, probably. Half hour? You must be really good. No, man, I try to make it shorter. He just doesn't I, know I, how to how to. He forgot <laughs> the skill of like writing a paper and looking at me. Like, That's too long. I got to cut that down. Honestly, honestly, all of my sermons are very interactive, and so there's crowd participation that sometimes oh, goes off the rails okay. sometimes. All right. 
So well, that change that changes the game, then. That, that's <laughs> that, that's that's cool. That's that's cool. You can All go right. with that. So, anyways, ending on an note of optimism. It's curious to me. You 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 kind of embody in my mind, um, in my perspective, the intergenerational bridge maker. Not just because Gen X is kind of like the forgotten between the generations generation, which is a stereotype in and of itself. But yeah, because... and, and we're good with that. Okay, I just cool. want to put that out there. <laughs> but, but because on one hand, you have the DSs that I'm going to assume, and I could be wrong, might be boomers. And then you have mm-hmm. the students that are millennials and Gen Z, and you're sort of in between that mess. So instead of mm-hmm. talking about ideals, the last question I'm curious about that could be uh, maybe also wrapped up in your long game hope for the church is this what would you say to 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 the young and the old who maybe seem to come from a place of fear and unwilling to compromise on a thing like what would you say to them about either coming to the table willing to discuss i don't know if you want to call it compromises or just willing to at least discuss period what would you say to those generations because obviously as you've said intergenerational uh living is is probably one of the coolest things the church offers us what would you say in a very practical way that would help maybe it's a, that young up and coming we they don't know what they want to do but they want to live out their their call or that ds who's terrified of what are these young people thinking this is crazy mm-hmm. what would you say as a, an initial first step to 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 start the treaty talks to start the <laughs> the, the discussions what's something that you see as as hopeful and, and something that we can build on as a, as a community of believers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I probably don't have anything profound here, but uh, my, my answer would be like study Hebrew together or something like that. But yeah, it probably doesn't. <laughs> uh, I, uh, if you can parse verbs together, then you can do anything. <laughs> but Watch I, I, WWE. There together. you go. That may not help with the, uh, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I mean, this probably isn't profound, but I, I guess I would say two things. I mean, one, in a practical sense, I would say, and this, and I guess other people might disagree with this, if they have more of a, like, spearheaded, prophetic, like, let's go get them kind of mentality than I do. But um, I guess one would be find something that you can talk about uh, that you both share and that you can do in common uh, and start there and agree uh, to wait to talk about the other stuff. And I think that uh, that's a way of sort of building bridges that may help each of us recognize the gifts that others can bring. And so as a sidebar to me, that's the way I try to think about persons in the church, but also churches and institutions and even denominations is um, all of those have certain gifts that they bring. Uh, but they also have certain negative and baggage stuff that they bring, all of us. So how can we look at what the gifts are that they have to offer and then partner up with them and some of the gifts that we might have to offer and kind of table the other stuff for the longer game? So that that's one thing I think is, and I mentioned the clean water thing. I mean, those, those kinds of things, you know, what can we do um, and, and maybe you don't have, I know this is weird, but like the clean water thing's an example. Maybe you agree to wait on the discussion of, you know, why don't these countries have clean water? You know why? I'll tell you why. You know, and, and you kind of wait on, on some of the larger systemic and social questions until some of those bridges have been built. And maybe some people got some water in the meantime. And it also puts a little... Uh, perspective there. So that's one. I, I, I think the other one is 
super hard to do both ways. Um, but it's like to draw on a little Levinas kind of philosophy stuff, you know, trying to see the face of the other who is really different from you and trying to, to not only see some of yourself in them, but also uh, see them as uh, a neighbor. Yeah. And, uh, and that's super hard to do, but, but thinking about this idea at the core of Christianity as sort of loving God and loving your neighbor, um, that's something you have to sort of learn to do, I think. And so I, I would just say, you know, that person, that DS, that pastor, that whoever it is, that embodies like everything you think is wrong about the church today, you know, trying to, to see them as a neighbor and attend to them as, you know, what, what do I have that's in common with them? Where are they? You know, what's going on in their life, whatever, even if they're not willing to necessarily do the same for you, you don't have to make yourself vulnerable to it. But I'm just saying in your own mind, trying to think about that because none of us are the ideas that we hold. We are all actual persons who have lives and families and struggles and, you know, mortgage payments and whatever. So we're a lot more than just the ideas that we post on Twitter or whatever. So trying to, to figure that out and think about people as real embodied people is a first step. But practicing, I mean, you know, practicing boundaries and uh, like we were talking about before off air, I think, uh, but practicing boundaries, talk, thinking about self-care, none of that should ever go away. And I guess the last thing I want to say is and this may really come from being an Old Testament person. <laughs> it may really come from that. Is kill them all and count them. No, no, no. Uh, is 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 uh, kill them and let God sort them out. Uh, is um, being honest about the uh, brokenness and the tensions and the less than ideals and actually naming it and actually mm-hmm. saying it and being honest about it. Um, is huge. Like just pretending that that stuff's not there is, is, you know, not really in my view helpful. And that could just come from the fact that I think this is the place where the Bible teaches the church. If it teaches the church anything in my view or Christians, anything, it teaches them about this idea of honesty. I mean, the church today has cultivated a place where, um, you know, we're, we, we're not very honest about situations, about, um, realities about struggles and tensions. But what you see, if you read the Bible is, I mean, this is a brutally honest text. I mean, they talk all the time in there. For example, Israel does in the old Testament about their sins and their failures and their shortcomings. And, um, you know, and I think in, in churches, we like to kind of get up in the pulpit and beat up on Israel for some of that stuff. But we never maybe stop to think that the only reason we even know about that stuff is because they were honest enough to tell us about it in their very own writings. And so I think there's always, in my view, a place for honesty. Now, to Byron's earlier point, there's a place for discretion. (laughs) That you you don't just put stuff on blast. I'm a believer in that. You know, I have friends who aren't believers in that, but that's (laughs) fine. You know, they're convinced that prophetic witness only happens when you, you know, blast stuff out. Um, And so, you know, okay. Uh, but, but I do think there's a place for discretion if you want to be heard, 
if you're not interested in being heard, then just, you know, blast away. That's fine. But I do think that honesty coupled with sort of discretion around I want to be heard uh, matters. But I think we've got to, you know, the, the more honest um, of a place the church attractive, it, uh, especially to folks who feel like um, they have a very different experience in the church that's not as positive or not what you see on the surface. Well, we try to be Fairly honest on this podcast, so I think I've that heard that last, about you. I, I think that <laughs> that last one we can we can continue to champion. Great, but we, I appreciate the other answers as well. And and truly, we appreciate the honor that it is to have a fun, but also meaningful conversation with a former professor of ours on yeah. the podcast. I am so so happy for you guys. I mean, this is you guys are doing such great work cool work and important work and uh not to sound too paternalistic here but uh could not be prouder of both of you and uh and and what you're doing and where and how and uh man it is it is awesome and this has been a thrill for me i listen to podcasts all week now admittedly they're all professional wrestling podcast i'm just gonna throw that out there. <laughs> uh, uh, it's true nice. I, it is true i listen to four different ones uh every day uh driving back and forth from from school <laughs> uh but uh but but i've never been on one and this is so cool uh and uh and and the but seriously the work you guys are doing uh this is awesome so thank you for the for the privilege and thanks for doing what you're doing this is this is cool well, it was awesome to have you on we really appreciate it it's good to catch Absolutely. up too. It's been too long. Totally. Hey, anybody first... listening out there, come to Point Loma. Send your students <laughs> to Point Loma. I should say that. <laughs> send your go. send your children. Send your yeah. <laughs> well, lions. unfortunately, unfortunately, we're gonna have to wrap it up there. Thank you once again, um, Professor Doctor Brad Kelly of Old Testament and Hebrew. Did <laughs> you I say it right? Did it. You, you did, did it. it. You did Hooray. it. Hooray! You, you, you did it. it. Oh, Way to go. All right, listeners. <laughs> to find all this stuff, subscribe, rate, review, follow us on the social medias. But in general, if you want to hear more about what us millennials think, or what duns and nuns think, or what seasoned-ish saints think, or you like hearing about the faith-based work they're doing in culture, please join us next time on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. Until next time, I'm your host Josiah, and I'm your co-host Byron. We'll talk to you later. Bye.